Well, we're talking about the Song of Solomon. Songs and poetry. Have you ever had a song or a, a poem that you really liked? But the, the words of the song or the poem were, were a little bit mysterious. And so you, you tried to look it up. What is this song about? What is this poem about? Have you ever done this? Have you ever been surprised how often the artist will say, well, what did it mean to you? Have you gotten that answer before? You know, clearly they were thinking something when they wrote this, but they actually don't want to say. They're actually more interested in hearing how it landed when you read it or how it landed when you heard it. And that's the way songs and poems work. That's actually, it's actually an appropriate use of that genre of writing. Had they wanted to make a statement and have it mean one thing, they probably would have written an essay, wouldn't they? Or they would have written a book. But they chose a song or a poem. And yes, they were inspired by something, but they're actually interested in how did that, how did that land for you? And they want to hear about that. And that's how songs and poems work. It's appropriate use. So I want you to remember that because we're going to have to come back and use that today. I want you to remember that as we talk about the Song of Solomon. It's a poem. It's a song in the Bible. And this passage that we have today is really, really weird. It starts out, this girl is having a dream. And she dreams that her fiance or boyfriend or husband or whoever he is, is is locked outside the house in the rain or the dew or something. And that he's trying to like get inside her room. Chapter five, verse two. I slept, but my heart was awake. A dream. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. So she decides that she's going to tease him a little bit. Like, "Ah, I've already got my clothes off. I've already washed my feet. I'm not getting up and answering the door. Verse 3. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on again? I bathed my feet. How could I soil them? So then he tries to break down the door. and, And that gets her all excited. So she jumps up to let him in. And when she opens the door, he's gone. Verse 4. My beloved thrust his hand into the opening and my inmost being yearned for him. I arose to open to my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh. I don't know why her hands are all covered in perfume. Upon the handles of the bolt, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and was gone. So then she runs around all night looking for him in the street. That has happened earlier in this poem. You know, same thing. She finds the police. She asks where he is. But this time in the dream, when she asks the police where her man is, they beat her up and take her clothes. Verse 6. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but did not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. Making the rounds in the city, the sentinels found me. They beat me. They wounded me. They took away my mantle. Those sentinels of the walls. So then she finds her girlfriends and she says, hey, I'm looking for my man. And the girlfriends say, what's so special about him? Why should we help look? Verse 8. I abjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. If you find my beloved, tell him this. I am faint with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus abjure us? Why should we go look for him? And her answer is, because he's really, really hot. Verse 10, my beloved is all radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside springs of water, bathed in milk, 
fitly set. His cheeks are like beds of spices yielding fragrance. His lips are lilies distilling liquid myrrh. His arms are rounded gold set with jewels. His body is ivory work encrusted with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns set upon bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His speech is most sweet and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved. This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Well, after hearing that, they're like, yeah, we're in. Yeah, where is he? We'll help you find him. And then she says, oh, actually, I know right where he is. Verse one of chapter six, where has your beloved gone, O fairest among women? Which way has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to pasture his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. And my, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He pastures his flock among the lilies. And then the dream part is over. What is this? What are we supposed to get from this? I studied many scholars trying to get an answer to that. I went all the way back to commentaries from the Middle Ages. No two scholars agreed on what this means. And half scholars said, I'm not even going to try to guess what it means. So today, I think we're going to have to let this be a song and let this be a poem. And we're going to have to ask, how does it land when you hear it? Clearly, the Lord inspired someone to write this. And they had something in mind as they were going through those images. But I think the author at this point may be saying, "But, but what do you latch on to? What do you hear? So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you what I got when I read it. But that doesn't mean that's what it's about. That doesn't mean it's more valid than what you get. When you hear what I got, you shouldn't say, oh, that's probably right. I was probably wrong. That's not how songs work. That's not how songs work. So here's what I got. And then at the end, we're going to have a couple of minutes of quiet when you can ponder what you get. We don't do this all the time with the Bible, but when it's really, really weird and it's in a song, I think that's all you can do. So let's just start with the fact that it's a dream, that she's having a dream. There are lots of dreams in the Bible, I think a lot more than we pay attention to or are really comfortable with. Do you remember Jacob has a dream that there's a ladder coming down from heaven. Joseph has a dream that his family is going to bow down to him. Pharaoh has a dream that Egypt's going to have uh, famine. Uh, Solomon has a dream that God's going to offer him wisdom. Joseph, the husband of Mary, has several dreams that she's going to give birth to the Christ child. The wise men who come see him have a couple of dreams of their own about how to go see him and then how to get away safely. In the first sermon of the first church in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. God has spoken and tells us he plans to continue more and more to speak to us in all sorts of ways, including dreams. Modern Christians still participate in dream interpretation. It's not terribly popular because it comes off a little hokey. But I was at Conception Abbey once. I happened to be there with someone who had just come from a dream interpretation training for the church. And it was really fascinating because I had just had a series of really strange dreams. And he, he had just gone to a conference on interpreting. And so I said, okay, here, I got a couple for you. 
So I dreamed that I was in China. I've never been to China. My wife's been many times. I've never been. But I dreamed that all four of us, my wife and two kids, we were all in China. We were were at a really crowded uh, bullet train station. And we were being chased by a Chinese assassin. Somebody who looked and moved like Jet Li. Somebody that you cannot escape from with small children. But we have to try. And so my plan is we're going to get on a bullet train and ride it to the station. Then we're going to jump off and get on a different random one and ride it and jump off. And we're going to move through these crowded train stations. We're going to get away from this assassin. And I got two small kids. So I said, all I can do is I turned to my wife. I said, I'm going to hold on to your hand and you hold on to the kid's hand. And we're just going to do this and get away from this guy. And so we jump on a train and 300 miles an hour, it shoots to the next station. We jump out, jump on, jump. I, I don't even have time to look back. He's that fast. After about six, seven train switches, we jump off at some random uh, Chinese train station in the middle of the country. I finally turn around because I'm totally out of breath and the assassin doesn't get off behind us. We lost him. But there's no kids. And I said, honey, what happened to the kids? And she said, oh, their hands slipped out of mine like four trains ago. And I woke up just sobbing in horror. Next night I have a dream. Next night, I have a dream that we are at a pumpkin patch picking pumpkins for Halloween, and it's in a cornfield, and suddenly, out of the cornfield come zombies. I normally don't have dreams that are so exciting or even that make sense at all, but this one does. So it's like the walking dead, and people are screaming and getting eaten and running everywhere. I'm like, oh, no. And so I... so. I got, again, I got the small kids. And I'm like, okay, I'm, we're going to run through this cornfield and we're just going to zigzag around and get over that hill and hide there. So I'm going to hold on to your hand, honey. And you hold on to the kids. And then we're getting, so we run in the cornfield and we're jumping over bodies. It's horrible. And then we get to the far side of the hill and there's only like five of us who made it. And we're hiding and I look over, no kids. I said, honey, what, what happened? And she said, oh, their hand slipped out of mine somewhere in the cornfield. And I woke up in a terror. And so I asked this guy, what's this mean? And he said, well, what's going on with your wife and kids right now in real life? I said, well, my daughter's really struggling socially in school and my son's really struggling academically. Now they're both doing great now. This is many years ago, but at that time that was what was going on. And I said, I feel like, to be honest, I feel like my wife's not really engaged with it. Like I'm trying to face it and deal with it and do things. and, and, And I feel like I'm kind of alone in that. Now, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. She was doing all kinds of stuff. Just different stuff than than I do, right? Different things than I do. She's providing all kinds of things they need, but not the things that I'm doing. And so I feel alone. And I didn't realize that. And I asked him, what should I do? And he said, I think you have to tell your wife how you're feeling and what's going on. So there was this hidden feeling, hidden even from me. And it's growing up this resentment and this wall between us that I don't even know is happening till I have this dream. And so Ashley and I talked and, and, and she showed me what, she, what she's doing and how she's addressing the problem, how it's different than how I am. And we're back on the same page and we're a team and you know, we're all holding each other's hand again. So this, this, this isn't about what was actually happening and who's right and who's wrong. It's about a feeling that was hidden even from me that I think God used this dream to get me to notice it and face it so that we could talk about it so that we can move forward together. So what could this girl in this dream be dreaming about? She dreams that she opens the door and her man's gone. And she asks the police where he is and they beat her up. And she asks her girlfriends where he is and they kind of make fun of her. 
I wonder if she fears separation. Maybe they're newlyweds. They have to be a part sub. Sounds like he's a shepherd. He goes off and has to travel with flocks and things. And maybe she feels like all of society is holding them apart. I don't know. I didn't have the dream. She had the dream. You'd have to ask her. But I wonder if when you have a dream, and I don't mean every random dream. Dreams mostly just are what they are, weird brain stuff. But I mean the ones that really stick with you. And that you wake up and like this, you can remember every detail of it. And there's a, something profound. I wonder if it's not worth our time more to, to say a prayer. Say, Lord, what's going on that maybe I don't even see? That, that you're wanting me to see? That needs addressing and needs a look. Might be true, might be false. But I wonder what's hidden. And just see if the Lord has something for you on that. Because he speaks all sorts of ways. You may just learn that you left the window open too late into the fall and the room got cold. If, I, if my room gets cold, I have really wicked nightmares too. So it might just be that you left the window open. Might be something more. Why not ask the Lord if that experience means something? Make room for a bigger God in their life. So that's what I got. That, that might not be what you got. That's probably not what you got. So let's read this again. And then we'll just have a few moments of quiet. And um, you can be in that time of prayer saying, Lord, what did I hear from this story? How does this story connecting to my story? If you want to have a phone out or a piece of paper, because you may just hook onto one word or one phrase. And then your prayer would be like, Lord, why did that one word or phrase jump out at me? This might all just be really, really weird. And so you don't have to do anything with it. You can just pray about what is going on in your life and with you and with God. Having a few moments of quiet on a Sunday to pray is not a bad thing. So let's read from the word of God and see what happens. Song of Solomon, chapter 5, starting in verse 2. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on again? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved thrust his hand into the opening and my inmost being yearned for him. I arose to open to my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh upon the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and was gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. Making the rounds in the city, the sentinels found me. They beat me. They wounded me. They took away my mantle, those sentinels of the walls. I abjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem. If you find my beloved, tell him this. I am faint with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus abjure us? My beloved is all radiant and ready, distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside springs of water, bathed in milk, fitly set. His cheeks are like beds of spices, yielding fragrance. His lips are lilies, distilling liquid myrrh. His arms are rounded gold, set with jewels. His body is ivory work, encrusted with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns, set upon bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choices of cedars. His speech is most sweet. And he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved. And this is my friend. O daughters of Jerusalem. Where has your beloved gone? O fairest among women. 
Which way is your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to pasture his flock in the gardens, and to gather lilies. And my be- I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He pastures his flock among the lilies. <laughs> 